Play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Hey, that was weird. I was all listening to that song. Yeah. I and then a, it just stopped playing. I had a really popping way to nothing. jump into the track and it just did absolutely nothing. Exactly. But guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. War, what is it good for? Lots of oil money for Halliburton <laughs> and such. That's what it is good for. So do we remember back in 2003 when we decided to go to war against Iraq because they had weapons of mass destruction and we had to protect America and the world from weapons? Weapons of mass destruction. And then by 2005, we could not find the weapons of mass destruction. But that's not what we went to war for. We went to war to build democracy and freedom, remember? No one ever said a word about weapons of mass destruction. But do you also remember when we said we won the war and the mission was accomplished and we could leave? But then all of a sudden, all these pesky American soldiers started dying. And we realized, oh, we had to stay here longer to build democracy. Because that's what the war was all about to begin with. And during this time period, we had all sorts of politicians who for some reason wanted to attack President George W. Bush about his war policy and going to Iraq. One person in particular, someone that Selena and Alyssa seem to like a lot, he was a rapper, um, I think he was in Chief Keef's group, um, Barack Jaquan Hussein Obama, he has the latest mixtape Trap Music Part 3, Year 7. He said, I'm not against all wars, I'm against dumb wars. Well, guess what, Obama? This war isn't dumb. It isn't. Nope. Fast forward to 2008, President Obama's elected president. I don't know why they made a black guy president. We know that's never a good idea. And then he says, we're going to pull out of Iraq. And then we sort of pull out of Iraq, but we don't really all the way. And all of a sudden, violence starts to shoot up again. Mm. And all of a sudden, you have all these new super terrorist groups popping up. And all of a sudden, there's this group named ISIS. And it sounds like a rap group, but no, it's not a rap group. They beat in the trap, but they blow up the trap. <laughs> and they were taking over all parts of Iraq, and they had some parts of Syria that they were in, and they had started off as rebels in Syria, quote-unquote. And now everyone is saying Barack Obama is to blame for destroying Iraq because Iraq was fine when we went there and bombed it and destroyed everything and killed and get, their leader. And got rid of the dictator. And got rid of the military and destroyed their foundation. And Iraq was totally fine when we had almost 200 deaths a day with American soldiers. And Iraq was totally fine when we killed over 100,000 Iraqis that we're not going to count because, hey, who counts killing people that aren't American and also are not white, right? If they're of color, yes, they don't matter. Well, what's color? This is black and white TV, and if your name sounds somewhat Negro-ish or Muslim or gay or immigrant, <laughs> you're I, out of here. I don't like that. You know what the gay names are. Priscilla. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> no, I don't know what that means, guys. I can't. But, but anyways, so we come to 2015, and after ISIS had this big push in 2014, particularly the summer, when they started taking over so much territory in Iraq, and Americans got scared because they said, ISIS can come and kill us because they beheaded somebody who was American, and they didn't get that person from America. They got that person because that person was in Iraq already. ISIS can get to us. So then the president and a coalition of other countries decided to strategically bomb Iraq to push ISIS back, and that started to happen. And then people were saying, oh, maybe we're winning the war against ISIS. And then for some reason, I don't know why, maybe because wars have up and downs in them, ISIS has started to take back some territories, which has made people afraid. Now, put all this together, and we have George, excuse me, Jeb Bush, who wants to run for president for 2016. And they asked him the question, do you think going to Iraq was the right thing to do with everything we know now and with what ISIS is doing? And he says, well, yes, of course it is. And then you have this 19-year-old girl who thinks she knows everything. Pardon me, woman, young woman, who thinks she knows everything because she's 19 and probably had way too much whiskey. I like her. <laughs> and she says to him, your brother is to blame for Iraq, and he's the one that created ISIS. So we are here today because we want to figure out 
Who is to blame for making ISIS? Should we blame the black guy, which is always the most fun slash easiest thing to do? Because if you're not going to arrest a black guy for no reason, and if you're not going to shoot him because he's unarmed, obviously scaring you, then you have to blame him for something that's going on that's wrong in the world. And that's why we have someone who is actually way smarter than me, and he knows how to read, and he probably doesn't like brunch as much as I do, but that's okay because I forgive him for it, and he is going to help us with all of these questions that we have. And his name is, forgive me for butchering it in advance, Musa Al-Garbi, and he's the managing editor for the Southwest Initiative for the Study of Middle East Conflicts, S-I-S-M-E-C, holla at me. And his number is there. I'm not going to give it. So, Musa, thank you so much for calling into the show today. And how are you? Welcome back, Musa. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to dive into this with you. I am excited as well. Musa, can I ask you a question? Sure. If you had to choose between whiskey and beer, but you could only choose one, which one would it be? Okay, so I don't drink now because I'm a Muslim, but I wasn't always a Muslim. So I don't drink now. It's I, important to know. Okay, but no. <laughs> yes. Whiskey would be the answer if you, I did drink. You see, because he knows. Okay, so what's the best What's the best meal you can have in the morning? Pardon? The best meal, like the best like breakfast meal you can have in the morning to get a good day going. Oh, yeah, it's like simple toast peanut butter kind of thing. Uh, that sounds really not delicious. black coffee. What about pancakes? Pancakes are all right. All right. I'm a good cook. All right. I'll let you rock a pancakes for now, okay? But anyways, let's get serious and let's talk about the things that are going on. So, obviously, we started the war in Iraq in 2003. It is 2015 and we are still there. And now we are dealing with with a problem called ISIS. And the dilemma for Americans, or for President Obama, I should say, is that if we leave Iraq, ISIS more than likely we'll have all the opportunity to like continue to expand. But if we stay, we have to keep American troops there and we have to keep spending money. Is that an accurate analysis of what's going on in ISIS right now in our in our dilemma? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, the so most of the blame, uh, I guess we'll get into this later. But most of the blame for ISIS um, definitely belongs to Bush and Petraeus. But uh, the Obama administration shares some blame for it for their policies. Um, ironically, though, the person that should be blamed within the Obama administration probably isn't. Uh, Barack Obama, because he didn't even like some of the policies that his administration ended up doing. It's actually probably more his Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, who was a lot more aggressive on a lot of these um, policies with regards to Iraq and Libya. But so now we're in a weird situation in Syria because we've, uh, and Iraq, because we've uh, sort of gone pretty, we've invested a lot in there. And so uh, it's very difficult for us to just sort of wash our hands of the situation, which is arguably <laughs> the, uh, the most effective thing we can do. Um, but it's difficult, you know, geopolitically and otherwise. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, the trap here is that the more we sort of go in there heavy-handed, the more that that actually uh, feeds ISIS's narrative and serves ISIS's interests. I mean, what they really want, what they really, really want is for U.S. ground troops to be deployed to Iraq and Syria. And they've said this over and over again. And they're not joking or bluffing or, or anything like that. It's, it would be the, the biggest recruiting tool that they could possibly have, is to have the U.S. Um, deploy a bunch of ground troops into Iraq or Syria. See, that's what scares me, because they want this to happen so they can continue to build their base and recruit more people. And the question is, how did they even become to be like in existence? Because you, you, what you mentioned was that it was Bush and Petraeus who really should take like a big part of the blame for creating ISIS. What the heck were they doing in Iraq that caused this? 
Yeah, okay. So I can I can go over a few a few of the sort of major blunders. Um, so one of the main ones was that after they overthrew Saddam Hussein, they instituted this policy called debathification, which said anyone who was part of the former Ba'ath Party was barred from participation in the new government. And this was a problem because most of the people who were part of the Ba'ath Party weren't like diehard ideologues. They were part of the Ba'ath Party because that was the only way that you could get a government job. <laughs> so uh, what Bush did was basically banned anyone who had any experience or knew how to run a government in Iraq from running the government in Iraq. And uh, in, in their place, he imported a whole bunch of like Ivy League people from Stanford um, who had just graduated and they had no experience, no sort of specialized knowledge about the Middle East or Iraq. And so the government sort of uh, failed. And then at the same time, um, among the people who were, who were barred from participating in the new government was the entire Iraqi army. They were forbidden from having any stake in the new government. They disbanded it, tried to recruit new people from the ground up. And so you had all these people. Um, and then they also didn't secure the arms depots after they invaded because they didn't want to put a whole bunch of heavy forces on the ground to secure them at first. They thought that um, they would be able to just sort of drive Saddam out of power and uh, most people would accept the new government, so they, they didn't have a lot of ground forces initially, and they didn't secure the arms depot. So you have a bunch of these people who were highly trained with weapons, who had access to weapons, and had, who had no stake at all in the new government because they were banned from taking part in it, and no way to make money because the, the sort of infrastructure of Iraq, uh, of Iraq collapsed after the um, invasion, in large part as a result of this inept administration by these you know, people straight out of college. And so that's basically how the insurgency was born. Um, there is a recent report in Der Spiegel showing that uh, with um, documents that they got from ISIS, um, which showed that the main sort of leader in creating what we now know as ISIS wasn't al-Baghdadi, but instead this guy, Haji Bakr, was a former general in Saddam Hussein's army, and um, and uh, we'll get into a little bit later maybe how how these Baathists and the uh, Al Qaeda people ended up sort of combining to make ISIS. But uh, Mus- Musa, I'm sorry. Holy, you just, you just summarized like three and a half minutes of ineptitude from from the from the Bush White House. Okay, so I have a lot of questions. I'm going to try and keep it very, as simple as possible for our listeners and for Selena, who's already glazing over because she no, doesn't. No, I'm not. Selena, you're messing up my joke. Well, it was a horrible joke. Please we, keep me you, out of it. Like, you, see, you see what happens when <laughs> Selena doesn't support me? Anyways, so I'm going to try and keep it as simple as possible. So the question is, so they wanted to go in there. They didn't want to. They assumed that if they just overthrew Saddam's government, that people would accept a new government. What information or intel did they have to make them think that? Yeah, uh, so I'll, I'll, go, I'll say, okay, but first I have to tell you just how how crazy, so it seems it, it seems insane today to think that everyone would just embrace the new government um, but, but as a testimony of how firmly they believe this the original NATO authorization to train and equip Iraqi forces was only for one month. One month. They literally thought it would only take one month to create a new army from the ground up because everyone would embrace the new government. And they had no plan for an insurgency. Um, The reason they believed this (laughs) 
Well, the part of the reason they believed this was because they were, um, they had some people who used to live in Iraq decades ago uh, who were saying, yeah, you know, everyone hates Saddam, everyone hates Saddam. If you go in and overthrow um, Saddam, everyone will love you. Uh, so that's part of the reason, is they had some people who used to live in Iraq a long, long time ago who were dissidents of Saddam Hussein's regime who said that everyone thinks the same way I do, which is false. I mean, most of the time when you meet um, people from other countries living in America, uh, they might not be representative of everyone who lives in that country, right? And this is especially true, for instance, in Iran. Most of the people, most Iranians that you'll meet in America today are people who fled after the uh, Shah was overthrown, when the Islamic government was instituted. And so most Iranians that you'll meet in America hate the, the, the government in Iran, but that is obviously, it's obviously not the case that most Iranians also hate the government in Iran. Uh, in fact, from most empirical evidence, most Iranians actually like the religious leadership in Iran. They have some problems sometimes with their political leaders, like Ahmadinejad, but they like it. So anyway, <laughs> there's a, there was this issue where they were relying too heavily on expatriates, on the testimony of expatriates who hadn't lived in Iraq for years, and they basically just took their word on it um, because it's something that they wanted to believe in the first place. Uh, what's more disturbing, perhaps more terrifying, is that the original plan wasn't just to um, get rid of Afghanistan and Iraq, but they planned on invading Iran, too. So the part of the beauty of getting rid of Iraq and uh, Afghanistan is both of those countries are on either side of Iran, and they planned on doing a trifecta, basically, and using their new forward operating bases that they set up in Afghanistan and Iraq to invade Iran, but they were prevented from doing this because of the insurgency. Wow. Could you imagine the kind of cluster that we'd have right now if they were able to invade Iran? My head is hurting. So, guys, if you are just tuning in, we are talking about who was to blame for ISIS, and I think everyone in this room and on the phone right now would agree that George Bush and David Petraeus had a huge part in the reason that ISIS exists today, and we are used, we are having this conversation with Musa Al-Garbi, and we, um, if you want to join into the conversation, you can call us at 212 65 or you can tweet us at BeHerd underscore radio. I know Alyssa has been holding her breath for quite a while because she wants to say something. Alyssa? Yeah, good morning, Musa. This is Alyssa here. Um, I just want to go back for a second to something we were talking about, about Saddam. Um, and there's no discounting that Saddam was a dictator and that he did horrible things. But in some ways, do you think that the Iraqis maybe were sort of better off with Saddam than the sort of vacuum that we left there when uh, Saddam was toppled and there was no clear delineation of who was going to run the Iraqi government and that that power vacuum sort of helped to also create ISIS? Yeah, so the power uh, vacuum definitely um, contributed to the insurgency. And, uh, you know, so the, the thing about a lot of these um, autocrats is, so there's a lot of people who dislike them, but there's usually a lot of people who like them as well. And they're not usually nearly as unpopular as they're portrayed as being. Um, so, for instance, Assad in Syria, Obama and lots of other people say, everyone hates Assad, you know, we've got to get Assad out of there. But, you know, from, uh, if you do a, a quick, you know, if you do a contextualized study from the empirical data available, even NATO came to the conclusion that most of the population supports the Assad government, and only about 10% of the population actively supports the uprising. And it, it, it's this way in a lot of so, um, so that's one thing. Uh, but another, uh, 
what's interesting is that the insurgency against the United States was originally um, broad-based, and it wasn't sectarian. Both Sunni and Shia were attacking us. Uh, everyone hated us. Um, they might not, even the people who didn't like Saddam didn't want us there. And uh, so there was this very cynical policy put in place by Paul Bremer, and it went like this. The idea was to try to get a majority of the Iraqi population to embrace the new government. And so the way they did it was um, he created this sectarian system where everyone had to declare a religious sect on their official government form. Oh, my God. And political power and representation was afforded people, uh, afforded political parties according to their sect uh, affiliation. And this was novel in Iraq's history. So people had, before were forbidden from... from um, declaring their sect. It was taboo in Iraqi society. Um, they didn't even, Iraq didn't, the Iraqi government under Saddam didn't even keep statistics on how many of who there were. Um, intersect marriages were very common in Iraq. But after the institution, institution of these policies by Bremer, um, intersect marriages declined. Uh, people became geographically segregated. So the Sunnis started consolidating in certain areas, the Shia in certain areas, um, the Kurds. Uh, and then worse, the Kurds were given sort of a semi-autonomous state by Bremer, and the um, Arab Shia were the majority of the population, so they got, you know, um, the uh, overwhelming representation in the new government. But this kind of left Arab Sunnis out in the cold. Wow. So, w- wow. So <coughs> I'm a little bit lost of words of how badly this was, this was, this was this was handled under Bush, but Musa, we do have to go on a quick break. When we come back, we have more questions for you. Um, particularly, I want to focus on the leader that the Bush administration planted to to, to watch over Iraq and all the problems he had with President Obama. But we're going on a quick break, guys. We'll be right back after this brief message. Guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. And if you're just tuning in, this is me, the always devastatingly handsome Stanley Fritz, in the studio with Alyssa Fuchs and Selena Cat Daddy Hill. Yes. And we are talking about whether George Bush was the reason that ISIS exists today. Right. And to help us with that conversation, we have Musa Al-Garbi, who I'm sure I'm butchering his name. And I want to thank <laughs> him in advance for not beating me up. I apologize. I will get it right. And... I want to jump back into the conversation, but first, Alyssa has an amazing comment from someone who spoke on the politically the politically preposterous. Alyssa, the floor is yours. Yeah, so uh, we got a comment from a Deborah, she- Deborah Shepard. She said, absolutely true. Obviously, she was answering the question, did George Bush create ISIS? And then she goes on to say, turn the tables. If another country had bombed us, killing close to a million of our citizens, we might all turn into terrorists. That's what's happening. Crazy people are coming after us because they're agitated, essentially. And then she said, while corporations reap huge profits along with top elected officials. So my question for Musa is, is there any sort of truth to what she's saying, which is, um, you know, we went in there and we killed a lot of people and, you know, we never maybe should have been involved. And so these people now feel like, you know, Americans did this to us and now we want to, you know, get back at them. And that's sort of another reason why you're seeing a rise in terrorism in within the group of ISIS. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, actually, it's interesting. I have a piece coming out in Al Jazeera um, next week, uh, which talks a little bit about 
which addresses a lot of the, the, the parts from that comment. Um, but definitely a lot of the resentment that people um, felt against America in Iraq and uh, later in Syria was as a result of U.S. policies in the region. It's not like people in Iraq... Well, <laughs> people in Iraq did hate, a, hate America before the invasion, but that was because we had them under sanctions. Um, they were, like, starving to death and all of this. Uh, also based on a weapons of mass destruction program that, again... Saddam didn't have, um, so, you know, the, the state of the, of the people of Iraq, um, they were suffering. I mean, Iraq was a very advanced society, and they had, like, one of the better infrastructures in the Middle East, but it was tough. It was really tough to live, and that was mostly the fault of Western sanctions against them. So they, they hated America before we invaded, but they hated us a lot more as a result of us killing them, destroying their infrastructure, and, and uh, you know, setting up this sectarian system of government, uh, et cetera, occupying their land. So, um, so yeah, I mean, most of the uh, most of the the reason that Iraqis hate us has nothing to do with. It's directly a result of U.S. policies. Speaking of U.S. policies, Musa, um, what do you say to people that say? President Obama's policy, foreign policy, is um, is directly contributing to ISIS and more anti-American sentiment. We know that he has increased the drone program, um, and that is is something that has caused devastation in uh, many parts of the Middle East. But you know, I, I hear this argument a lot from people who also deny that President Bush played a role in creating ISIS. So, um, it, a sort of like a two-part question: How do you address the arguments that Bush did not create ISIS? and that it is Obama who has created ISIS and contributing to more people joining the ranks. Yeah, so um, yeah. So on the first part, uh, people who want to deny that George Bush created ISIS, they usually, um, for one, they're just crazy. They're just ignoring history. I mean, the reason why there was an insurgency in Iraq, as I laid out very concisely, is because of the policies of the Bush administration after the invasion. But they have this narrative, this fairy tale, that Iraq was, sure, it was tough for a while, but then we did the surge, and the surge cured all of Iraq's problems, and if only the surge continued forever, then Iraq would be having car wash, bikini car washes and McDonald's today. But that's, um, that's a lie. So, uh, for, <laughs> for one, the, the so-called Anbar Awakening, when a lot of the population in the Sunni areas turned against Iraq, that started happening six months before the surge, and a lot of those awakening forces who were later armed and trained by the United States started defecting to Iraq, I mean to Al-Qaeda, before the surge was even over. <laughs> so, um, so the idea that the surge cured all of your, in fact, in a lot of ways, the policies that were instituted during the surge led to a lot of these people joining al-Qaeda. It undermined the awakening. So this narrative, this fairy tale, is false. But basically that's how it goes, is that we have the surge, and then Obama drew down forces, and that created a vacuum, and that's what ISIS swept into. But that's a lie. Um, yeah, definitely. Musa, you know, speaking of that, I think that's sort of where Jeb Bush was going when he responded to the college student. I mean, he essentially tried to pawn off the blame on the Obama administration, and she sort of kept sticking to him. And then he responded by saying, quote, when we left Iraq, security had to be arranged, al-Qaeda had to be taken out, end quote. And then he went on to say, quote, there was a fragile system that could have been brought up to eliminate the sectarian violence. Do you think that and there's any truth to his comments, or is that, as you point out, also completely a lie? Uh, yeah, it's just not, it's not true. Um, so, but 
that said, the Obama administration um, did have some actions that they took which were which contributed to um, the rise of ISIS. So uh, some of them were expanding and, and continuing George Bush policies. For instance, um, the surge uh, and um, the drone campaign. Uh, but then some of them were sort of novel, new new actions taken by the Obama administration. Um, but they were largely, again, were largely driven by Hillary Clinton. At the time, Obama was very wary of a lot of the policies he ended up endorsing, and he did it very begrudgingly, and because of pressure from Republicans, and then also pressure from within his administration from more aggressive um, people like Clinton. So, for instance, uh, arming the, the rebels in Libya and Syria, most of uh, Obama didn't want to do that. A lot of military commanders didn't want to do that. Um, but Hillary Clinton did want to do that, and she ended up winning <laughs> that argument. And most of those weapons ended up in the hands of al-Qaeda. Most of those resources ended up in the hands of al-Qaeda. Most of the people we train have defected to either al-Qaeda or ISIS. Um, and the, the same thing in, in, uh, in Libya. There was, uh, Libya was a disaster just like Iraq. There was this idea... In fact, it was worse than Iraq. It was this idea you could overthrow Gaddafi without putting boots on the ground, and a new government, a secular democratic government, would just self-organize as if by magic. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, Libya is a disaster. And of course it's a disaster. You can't just get rid of a government and then have a new one magically appear. Um, so it, but Obama didn't want to do Libya. Hillary Clinton wanted to do Libya. Um, so, and that's important. It's important to note because we're going into the 2016 election cycle, and the one who's responsible for a lot of these missteps is the one on the Democratic ticket, and the Republicans are even worse. So, we need some kind of alternative candidate who's not going to be doubling down on these same terrible policies that created ISIS in order to fight ISIS. This sounds like everyone was popping a molly, and. When they were making these decisions, Musa, we have everyone in the studio like freaking out to talk right now. Before I throw it to Selena and Alyssa, I want to say you can call in. Our number is 212-650-6903. Again, that's 212-650-6903. You guys can go before you beat me up. Musa, you did a great job in explaining Hillary Clinton's role in, um, the, and, and why Obama made certain decisions in Libya um, in the Middle East. And which and we're feeling the consequences now. But the question now I wanted to raise is: You just said we need a candidate that is not going to um, continue to um, have these campaigns, these drone campaigns and insurgencies that just lead to more chaos in the Middle East. What can? Yeah, I was so when you said that, I was like, Oof. what? What candidate are you thinking about, Musa? Uh, oh, um, Musa, can you start so start that answer again? Which which uh, candidate are you thinking about? Yeah, ironically, the only one on the table who's even sort of, so, you know, you have Bernie Sanders and Rand Paul, but neither one of them, I don't think, stand a chance of winning their party's nomination necessarily, um, unless there's a big rally of public support behind them. Uh, and on the Republican side, that's a lot more difficult because they don't have a huge anti-war base, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, what we need is to hopefully, uh, we have other voices in the Democratic Party that need to take a part in this debate. So hopefully we have some other people that jump into the race with different ideas that people can rally around. Because right now, if we just continue down our sort of, on the path we seem to be on of just coordinating Hillary Clinton as the Democratic nominee, then the 2016 race is going to be a very bad election. I mean, both of the options are going to be pretty terrible. Mm, thank you for that. 
Alyssa, you had a comment? Go ahead. Yeah, no, you know, they say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same results. And it seems to me like this is just par for the course for Americans. I mean, you know, you should have learned, I guess, in Vietnam that, you know, this is the lesson we should have learned. Stay out of, like, other people's business. I mean, you saw what happened in Vietnam, and there was sort of a cut and run at the end of the war where they just loaded everybody up and got out of there. And we didn't do that in Iraq. And to some extent, I obviously think we shouldn't have been there in the first place. But once we were there, the just keeping going, keeping it going and keeping it going. And the thing, and to second that comment, aside from Iraq, the point that uh, Musa made about arming the rebels who have now essentially defected, I mean, that's something that we did in Afghanistan back in the 80s when we were using people to fight against the Soviets and then those people ended up with the weapons and then turned into the Taliban, the Northern Alliance, a lot of them defected and became members of the Taliban. So, you know, it goes back to... (laughs) The picture is even worse than that. So part of the reason why Obama was hesitant to arm the rebels in Syria and Libya was because he commissioned the CIA report and this is on the New York Times. Uh, So the CIA report looked at every single instance in U.S. history where we have tried to arm and fund these rebel proxy groups to achieve different political goals. And their conclusion was that it never works. It literally never works. The only one time when it did work was when we armed and trained the Mujahideen to drive the Soviets out of Afghanistan. And that's seen as a paradigm example of what can go wrong in this case, because basically... Um, all of those people we armed and trained, the domestic fighters from Afghanistan became the Taliban, and the foreign fighters who went to Afghanistan became al-Qaeda. So um, the, the one time when arming proxies worked, it created al-Qaeda and the Taliban. <laughs> so it's, there's literally not one single example in all of U.S. history, and we've done this a lot, where this has worked. But what is the solution to ISIS, according to a lot of these people? Oh, we need to arm and train more of these rebels. It's a terrible idea. It's a really terrible idea. It's always a terrible idea. I think we've learned that. So, Musa, just really quickly, because we have to wrap this segment up now, can you just, what do you think it'll take to get us out of this situation? What does America need to do from now to kind of like back out of this and avoid any other issues? What what as many issues as possible? Yeah, um, so I talked about this a little bit in, 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 in some of my pieces. Um, so one of the main, the main things that we need to do, uh, we need to stop arming, arming um, non-state actors immediately. Uh, we need to partner with, uh, we need to um, put pressure, uh, change the way we do business with a lot of Middle East autocrats, and uh, that can, for a couple reasons. One, to pressure them to stop funding non-state actors by providing a lot of our aid on a more conditional basis instead of blank checks. And then two, because right now our alliance with these people is a big part of the propaganda from groups like ISIS and al-Qaeda is that the U.S. supports dictators and um, monarchs and autocrats in the Middle East. So we need to stop doing that. Um, And uh, in addition, um, we need to uh, probably partner with. Uh, we need to sort of make our peace with Assad. He's not. He's not going to go. We don't need to support Assad because, again, that's been part of the problem. <laughs> but we we need to. Um, we're we're not going to overthrow him. We shouldn't overthrow him um, with direct intervention, and we shouldn't be uh, arming people to overthrow him. We should let that play out, however it is, and then um, support a negotiated settlement. 
provide humanitarian assistance and intervention to help Syria rebuild and restructure uh, after it sorts itself out. Um, but the problem of terrorism, ironically, it's, it's you know, it's radically inflated, uh, the threat that we face from terrorism. And it's something that can be dealt with mostly over here. We don't need to be over there. A lot of the things we do over there make the problem of terrorism worse. So, uh, so those are some cursory things. But I, I saw it out uh, in more detail in some of my other articles. That, thank you for mentioning that, actually, because I want you to let the listeners know where they can find some of your articles so they can continue to read up on this, especially the article coming out in Al Jazeera in the next couple of days. Yep. Um, so my website is um, fiatsofia.com, F-I-A-T-S-O-P-H-I-A.com. Thank you so much, Musa. Musa, I think you should run for office. Yeah. I mean, maybe... <laughs> Maybe we'll have a chance there. I don't know. Well, I want to hear your well, policy we got on day drinking. Who's the same, so who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for calling in once again, and we look forward to having you on the show another time to talk about good things, hopefully, all right? Yeah, control. Thank you, thank you. All right, guys, so that was a conversation on whether Bush started ISIS, and I think it's very clear that he did. And I want to close this segment out with just a bit of a story that Selena nor Alyssa will find relevant, but hopefully at the end of it they'll go, oh, that's what you were doing. When I was 19 years old, I worked at this rest the shop on 42nd Street. Um, I think it was Grand Central Station. And it was a pie shop. It was called Little Pie Shop. And Little Pie Shop was great because they had all these amazing pastries and cakes and candies that you could have. Well, you pay for them, but you can get them. And in the back, you had to go into this big, like, eight-foot oven and, like, take out the, the cakes and the pies to put them in the front. And they always told you, be very careful because if you, like, when you pulled out a pie, you wouldn't just pull out one pie. You'd pull out a roll of pies and all different pies and cakes. And they always said, be careful. Don't be too fast about it. Don't be, like, too frantic. Make sure you're paying attention and be careful because if you mess up the cakes, they're yours. You have to pay for them. And in theory, like, who, who doesn't want cake? Cake is great. Cake tastes good. Pies are awesome. You give them to your friends and your family. And that idea is amazing. But then when... You pull out a roll and you mess it up. You got to pay for it. So, so that happened to me one time. I pulled out a roll way too fast and I scratched off the top layer of all the pies. And they, they said they were going to take it out of my check. $300. You know how much I got paid at that time? Probably $400 every two weeks. So that was pretty much all of my check gone. And I, and I tell that story because that's what we're doing in Iraq right now. We're going into a situation where we don't necessarily have a strong plan, where we haven't thought everything out, where we're rushing because we think that we got to get something done, and then we're destroying the whole top layer. And when you break something that's not yours to begin with and it belongs to someone else, you have to fix it. And this system is broken, and we continue to break it, and we try to walk away, and we cannot. So whether we like it or not, we're going to be in Iraq for a long time because we broke a system that may not have been the best, but it was working, and now we have to fix it. And until that happens, the day when we fix it, we're going to be stuck in there. So whether it's Bush's fault, which it is, or Obama's fault, which he has some fault in there, or it's Clinton's fault, which she definitely has some fault in there as well, we have officially broken it. It is shattered to pieces, and now we are all right here together trying to put the mess together while pointing out someone who did something wrong. Well, guess what? It doesn't even matter anymore. So, guys, we're going to go on a quick break. When we come back, it'll be the news roundup. But thank you so much for joining us for this great discussion. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. Enjoy the trap music. Let your voice be heard. 